asked me to say something, uh, give some instructions or considerations on the theme of, of metta, kindness. Um, Sometimes in in trying to establish clarity and and uh, say concentration or one pointedness, then we don't we don't understand how things like kindness how that fits in because our emotional states are tend to be either neglected or unfocused, more or less kind of spontaneous. Bursts. <laughs> that, uh, so we, we tend to not be clear or focused about our, the emotional side of, of life, and then we also then. But then, what we do, what we're clear about, we're not very sensitive about. You know, there seems to be quite a, a gap between our, our caring and our functioning. So we can function well, but care, but uncaringly. <laughs> We can care wonderfully, but with, uh, with no, no clarity. It's sort of just a, a great explosion of feeling or a blur or... or. <coughs> I think this... Uh, it's partly the result of the way we live, where you have a tremendous amount of emphasis on getting things right and uh, succeeding and being efficient and competing and performing and so on and to the point where it doesn't really matter how you feel as long as you do it uh, and it doesn't even matter how you do it as long as you get it done <laughs> it doesn't really matter how you get it done as long as you manage to convince somebody else that it was right. <laughs> Whether it's right or not, doesn't matter. As long as somebody else thinks it is. <laughs> so this is uh, indeed uh, a, a sad result. So, uh, you know, a functioning, uh, active life can be one where we haven't really learnt or, or, or been encouraged to, to be caring in it. The metta bhavana or cultivation of, of kindness, loving kindness, is one of what are the four Brahma-vihara and the Brahma-vihara are called divine, divine abidings or spiritual abidings. Abiding is concerned with, uh, quite literally, Brahma, the creator, the great creativity. So if you're a frustrated poet or a, you like to do watercolors or something, then uh, this, this side of practice, the creativity of it, which actually doesn't mean you've got to do anything like uh, you know, pottery or basket weaving in order to spiritual creativity is being alive can be a very creative act trying to relate and sensitize and uh, 
to, to things as they are rather than just uh, have a lot of preconceived models to actually live creatively is an aspect of Dharma. And we you, but then in, in most specifically for people who meditate and contemplate, then the what we're working with, the raw stuff, is uh, thought, is feeling, is how to, when it's time to think, when it's time to be silent, when it's time to act, when it's time to do nothing, when it's time to listen, when it's time to be firm, when it's time to be gentle, when it's time to be quick, when it's time to be slow. These are the, if you like, the, the raw material is one's own. <coughs> heart, body, mind, and that creativity is, comes from there. Now, just the very perspective on Brahma-Vihara, on a spiritual creativity, spiritual abiding, is, is in itself is, is something that's rather uh, alien or unusual for, for us tend to see spirituality as something that's not about activity, doing things, but about a kind of believing in something or some state you can get to. It's not an active experience. It's a sort of state or a belief of some kind, somewhere removed, like heaven, somewhere else, not, not here. But the whole attitude behind the Brahma Vihara is... Uh, um, trying to infuse uh, spirituality into into this experience, this body experience, this uh, day, this these activities that we do, however seemingly mundane and ordinary they are. Mm. You've got to actually, rather than seeing that there's something to extract out of this, that this is like a kind of uh, material and you, you, you can distill it down to, to reach some essential quality within it. And a lot of it you just sort of discard as dukkha and you, or as impermanent and you kind of dump it. And you're looking for the real fine point. And we can get into this with uh, sometimes with meditation practice, like you don't really bother with all the silly details, just give me the pure crystalline, pristine Dhamma. And uh, you know, the, the activities and the conventions and the relationships are are either unimportant or just the surface. Uh, and this is not a very healthy view because the more you practice, then the more refined your idea of what pristine Dharma is and the more stuff you want to discard is getting in the way of it. So we, while we normally don't want to work, don't want to talk, don't want to see people, Sometimes you don't even want to walk. It's considered too coarse. You know, eventually you don't want to, you know, you say you just want to get into some state of not being bothered. Uh, something where it's exceptionally refined or calm. <coughs> but Brahma Vihara is trying to, to take hold of, of experience and, and turn the other way. So we're actually suffusing rather than extracting. It's suffusing what you're doing with these, with something spiritual, something creative. And uh, 
we create or we bring into into the world, we bring into it uh, kindness, compassion, joy at what is good, gladness at other people's welfare, and equanimity, even-mindedness. Not indifference, but even-mindedness. Balance. The most difficult of all is to experience the equanimity. This is what consciousness is for. When you, with consciousness, as I was saying the other day, when you try to find something in consciousness, when you, when you approach the experience of being conscious of things with the idea of, uh, I want something out of it, I don't want that, I want this, I want this, uh, either gratification or defense, defending oneself against what's unpleasant or trying to absorb more of what's pleasant, or, or delusion, distraction always kind of confused and looking for the right thing to, ha- to have and to, to attain or become or achieve or annihilate, then the, the experience of life is one of, of dukkha because it, it, every, every situation is being approached in that way. <coughs> and at times it can seem that, that uh, when your mind locks into this, that you know, you, it's, it's startling to realize that that same pattern is happening, can be happening in a whole variety of situations, instinctively. What's in it for me? You know, I don't want this, I want that. I want more of this and don't want any of that. I don't like that. I don't feel good about that, I want that. You know? <laughs> you know, it's such a kind of instinctive thing and almost uh, considered to be one's right. You know, because uh, com- in the commercial world, that's what, that's what counts, isn't it? You know, give people what they want. And you can always perfect better and better uh, goods to, to uh, heighten that, that sensitivity in that way the new improved. The quicker, the more comfortable, and so forth. The whole sense of, of what do I get out of this? You know, paid my money, my right, give me what I want. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, I'll if one if there's a certain justification that you you know you paid for it and you get what you want, but really the 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 for the whole assumption that that could ever be achieved, that you could ever really get what you want and feel satisfied, and that, that would be it. You know, you finally got it. That's it. End of problem. Never. It just transfers to something else, doesn't it? So this this whole fundamental assumption that one is. And, what it, and the, when you consider it, the, the, what's the end result is the assumption that you are a need being. You're a being in need. And every time you fulfill that need, or appear to fulfill that need, you keep emphasizing that identity. I'm a need being. And it kind of goes on and on and on. So this is when consciousness is used like that. We see 
I'm here, you're there, what do I get out of you? Or if I don't want to be with you, don't like you, then how do I shut it out? Kind of thing. This is when, you, when, you, when there's this sense of self and subjectivity, the sense of the self is separate from the object. Now, Brahma Vihara, then the, uh, the, the mood of it is that we're not separating from the object. We're actually uh, acting in ways that, that bring around a, um, a responding, a sensitivity, an empathy, fundamental empathy with things. So the Brahma Vihara is that which inclines towards uh, not separate, not looking in terms of what I need, want, and have to have, but uh, more uh, how one abides with empathy, with sympathy. So that consciousness is then a response, a, a, a sensitivity, an empathy, a mutual sharing, rather than something that separates us. You know, I'm on one end of it, the rest of the world's on the other end of it. But when you consider it, actually that's more accurate, because consciousness does connect us. It's the thing that connects, isn't it? You know, you, what consciousness means is, is the medium that makes something present for you. Through the eye, through the ear, through the nose, tongue, body, mind. It's that which brings something into your presence. So it is an empathetic, resonant experience rather than a, you know, like like you can't decide, may I be conscious of this and and then have it be that way. May I be consciousness of happiness and perfection. Does it work? No, you have to be conscious of what is. And instead of making the demand on it, to learn to, to change the attitude. And it, it's quite... Uh, uh, it's, uh, once we consider that, then you get the point. It's, 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 a, very, it's a very easy shift, actually, just <coughs> consider things like um, how to be patient with things, how to be gentle with things, how to be um, compassionate. It's approaching it from that way we get, it makes a lot of sense. But then, then the Brahma Vihara as meditations are the means whereby we can uh, be more clear and pinpoint and do it and systematically exercise that, that sensitivity, the sensitivity that's there that we begin to acknowledge we can't deny. First aspect of it is to uh, metta or kindness. Actually, the quality of it is experiencing well-being, experiencing the lovability, the supportiveness. Now, it's, so it's different from compassion. It's the sense of uh, abiding in well-being. So for this, uh, metta is the beginning of it because it's not. It's actually not about uh, caring for anybody else specifically. It's about receiving, first of all. Receiving well-being, receiving the good feeling. So for this, we, uh, for example, we might very well think of someone that makes us feel good. Someone we admire, someone we're fond of, someone we respect. 
Oh. Or if you can't think of, of, of a person, think of, think of a particular action you know, that a person does. Their nice side. You, you know, if you can't find anybody who, who you think is absolutely wonderful, think of the ordinary people and... and uh, <laughs> the one nice thing they do. You know. <laughs> You know, if you can't find that, then uh, uh, pandas are very nice. And <laughs> There's got to be something nice somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, if you think even if somebody's care for their their child or care for their aged parent or uh, their quality, we can focus on a, a, a faculty, an aspect. And you, and you focus on it just so you get the, the feeling of, well, that's very nice, it's pleasant, that's, that's inspiring, that's good, I enjoy that. That's, uh, so you get the feeling of lovableness, something that makes one feel warm and affectionate. So then, then that, this is metta, it's like that. Um, and then you, with that, you, you're not just, say, projecting it outwards, but to, to consider the experience as it happens to you in what we say in your heart, what we call the heart, the awareness, jitta, it, it moves in a particular way. Uh, so, and then if you, when you practice metta, you first of all you may find it easier to think of a person or an aspect of a person's behaviour, and then I uh, try to develop it also in yourself something about yourself that is attractive. It's, uh, lovable, likable. You may feel, draw, draw a few blanks here. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sad, but true. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the uh, advantages, or the what we say, the merit, or the the, the uh, merit that accrues from good practice, is it, it, if you it gives you something to feel good about. So if you consider your harmlessness, or you you know you let a fly out of the window yesterday rather than let it buzz there or squash it, you know so. You did that, or you you helped serve some food, or you you didn't have to do this, but you did it because you, it was a the right thing to do. You know? This is lovable. This is something that probably if somebody else did it, you'd you'd, you'd quite admire them. Think, oh, but because you did it, you didn't notice it. And so, in in Dharma practice, it is considered necessary to have these reviewings you know, in the morning and evening, or as many times as you need it, actually. The whole idea of this, um, in Theravada, what's called this idea of making merit, which can be interpreted in a rather strange um, uh, materialistic way, is that by, through, through doing skillful deeds, small deeds, good, uh, large deeds, and it's not really praising oneself so much as recognizing genuine goodness. Mm genuine goodness of the heart. 
And then we recognize that and be touched by it. Making punya, merit, is something that has to be done from a pure space rather than uh, it's not a superstition to believe that somebody up in the clouds is adding it all up. It gives you the, you know, the sum total of the end of your life to see how good you're made out. It's something to be, that you, you experience for yourself. It's really do, do good deeds, but then if you do good deeds and you don't recollect it, it's like, it's like you know, growing fruit, picking them, making a pie out of it, and then throwing it away, not eating it. You don't get the goodness out of it. You don't get the, you don't recycle the goodness so that uh, one's, uh, one's virtues are not nourishing. And this can be quite often the case with people. We do good things. There's a certain sort of anxiety or compulsiveness to do good things, but a lot of it's coming from a feeling of one's own lack of worth. So we're desperately trying to counteract that feeling by doing things. Uh, that will help to, to allay a sense of guilt or inadequacy, that we haven't done enough, that we are incapable. Or the blaming that goes on. And so that uh, this, um, one of the enemies of, of kindness is this, uh, uh, is aversion, obviously enough, but you don't realize that aversion, just, it doesn't mean hating other people, I mean, that can be part of it, is, is averting, not, not lingering, not abiding with oneself, is an enemy of metta. So, consider non-aversion is a, perhaps a little more subtle and uh, relevant than you'd think, because we dwell in aversion a lot of the time without really recognizing it. We do not abide in well-being. We don't abide in our goodness. That's called aversion. <laughs> and it's one of the re- one of the things that self-view does. This sense of self blocks one's ability to abide in one's own well-being. Because the self always has to be doing something, having something, making something. And there's a kind of humility about abiding in one's well-being, a quietness, an appreciation. Self never appreciates anything. It's always trying to add one more thing rather than take stock of what we have. And when you abide in, in metta, in well-being, then, of course, this is, not, uh, this is not self-adulation because we recognize it's a common feature. All human beings have some degree of metta. And it's the same thing for all of us. It's not congratulation, it's recognition that's required. Even mean tyrants, you know, have pet budgerigars or um, canaries or, you know, they like something. 
so it's just to, so when we're, we're practicing metta, it's not saying uh, how wonderful I am, I am a completely loving, great person, but recognizing you know, a facility, an aspect that's, that's fundamental to human beings. And if we abide in it, if we linger in it, then we're going to make more of it, and it will help to allay some of the restless anxiety and uh, need to prove and need to have that uh, makes our lives so, so fraught and so unfulfilled. The, what's called the near enemy of metta is uh, uh, fascination, adulation. So if you practice, if you say you're using or bringing up the image of another person to instill this quality, recognize that the, 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 the value of it is what's happening in your own heart and uh, be aware of the tendency to project and see that the, the, per, the other person is the lovable rather than the lovableness is a, is a feature of your own heart. Because it can be the case with people, people can be quite devoted and devotional. And one notices actually that very often uh, people of a strong degree of devotion to others can be very uncaring about themselves. All of that is transferred out onto other beings. And there's no, no evenness, no no uh, universality to it. And then metta is being, uh, is not really being properly cultivated mindfully and insightfully. Like anything else, uh, any other practices, we can use metta either for what's called samatha, for calming, or for vipassana, for insight. Is when you use metta for samatha, basically what you're doing is is creating a particular object that makes you feel good. Uh, this is the principle of samatha. So if you're using the breathing meditation, you, you create a particular, uh, or you, you focus on a particular object that creates a certain mood in the mind, and then you linger in that mood. And, and that mood is a feel-good mood. If you practice insight, then you, you do a similar thing, but instead of lingering in the mood, you use the, the sense of, of goodness or clarity or the enhanced faculty that then penetrate and look into the sense of self, the, uh, uh, what, you know, who we are at that particular moment. So we often use metta to, to begin to open into our, our painfulness by non-aversion to it, <coughs> by... Uh, um, Recognizing it. Yeah, the karuna or compassion is is the absence of cruelty, the absence of of of, of harming, hurting, punishing, revenge. And this, as with metta, we can. Uh, 
induce it by experiencing that, that, that quality towards other beings and similarly towards oneself. We do quite a lot of punishment towards ourselves for our apparent failings, inadequacies, towards our lack of metta. <laughs> so that having once one and uh, so this uh, karuna, compassion meditation, is is very uh, relevant. Now consider yourself. It's perhaps it's easier to experience a sense of comp- or think you're experiencing compassion over people suffering in wars and starvation and so forth. But uh, compassion, one of the enemies of compassion is sorrow. So compassion doesn't imply worry or sorrow or anxiety. And these often get mingled with it. Compassion is the non-harming, non-punishing, non-cruelty, non-vengefulness. It's this quality. They're quite relevant because once you once you the self view is set up to 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 do to do what's to do good things to perform to achieve things to be excellent to succeed, then with it comes this judgment of the number of times you didn't do as good as you thought you should do. You didn't get the results you felt you ought to do. You didn't. Uh, you made a mistake. And uh, the response to that can be one of uh, punishment, severe punishment or just mild tut-tutting. But essentially it doesn't encourage. It always, something is bad, is pushed down and made even worse. And this is quite a a, a common conditioning. Uh, You probably find this in, in your school, in your workplace and in the society in general, somebody who does something bad is punished. Uh, it's, uh, this is, we don't, we don't uh, consider this, really. Why do that? What good does it do? How does it, how does it help someone improve? You create fear and uh, pain. And it's basically a threat system. Particularly in uh, spiritual life, in spiritual practice, this is of no value because you can't threaten yourself into enlightenment. (laughs) 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 If you don't get enlightened, I'm never going to talk to you again. It it doesn't actually work that way. (laughs) But Positive, like encouragement, forgiveness, does. It, it, it does bring in the positive, fulfilling, sustaining energies that actually will ripen and will give us the, the uplift to, to, to deepen, to further our practice. So karuna is a very important quality you keep so with this you contemplate the uh, the failings or the inadequacies of oneself and, for, and others, and you recognise 
You don't need to do any more punishing because there's already suffering created by it. What you need to do is to be able to, to correct, encourage, and look after. Look after each other. Look after ourselves. Sometimes we're frightened to do it. We feel awkward about helping each other. Because the self-view is one that says, I don't need anybody, or I shouldn't need anybody. I shouldn't even need myself. (laughs) So you see how the self-view acts as a a block in this way. There's a kind of strange pride about it. Uh, I I shouldn't need you, and I shouldn't even need me to help me. I should be here already. Of course, this is impossible. Karuna helps you, uh, encourages, and it also helps to, as as with metta, it helps to weaken that that hard-edgedness, that isolationism of self-view. It's all right to care, it's all right to help, it's all right to be helped, to help oneself. Mudita is, uh, doesn't even have a very satisfactory translation for it. It's such a, uh, a rarely ascribed or rarely recognized, a rarely defined quality. But it means you, you feel glad, you feel uplifted at somebody else's success or good fortune <coughs> rather than jealous or contemptuous. You feel that. And, and uh, again, if from the self position, if you're having a good time, that's your business, and uh, it's not my business, and uh, maybe I could you know, feel I'd like to have that good time too, which I don't you know, right now. So we feel maybe jealous or envious, because we see ourselves as separate. If you're having a good time, that's, that's entirely happening to you, and I haven't got it. If, we, if there's a letting go of the self-experience, then your, your enjoyment, I can resonate to that. I can, I can empathize with that. Now, actually, you find that uh, for, for adult human beings, you get more joy, more sense of enjoyment out of children or animals having a good time than you would out of other adults because you tend not to see yourself polarized you can actually accept them because they don't threaten you. There's no competition with a, with a dog or a, a, you know, a bird or something, or a child, you know, you feel safe. Whereas with other adults, the, so often the attitude is, is of you know, a certain sense of measuring each other up, and you know, it's you and I'm here, and we do deals, but we're, we're equal, you know, so there's this sense of separation and comparison, and we don't often feel a sense of trust with each other. We may not consciously mistrust each other, but we don't actively empathize. We, perhaps we even feel embarrassed about empathizing, because as adults we shouldn't need each other anyway. <laughs> I'm a grown, grown man, and I don't, you know, I can look after myself, kind of thing. 
But notice, actually, why, why do we like to be with, with uh, soft, furry creatures and uh, uh, chipmunks and little cute things? You can feel, oh, is that nice? You enjoy it. You know, something touches us in it, in those creatures. We allow ourselves to feel joy at their well-being because they are there. We don't, we don't compare ourselves to them. Now, the, the more there is that uh, uh, proper cultivation of not-self and not having to be anybody and not having to be better or equal or worse, you know, when we stop doing that, then other people's happiness touches us and feel a sense of, of uplift. It's not an intellectual experience where you measure it up. You just naturally it communicates, that cheerfulness communicates the... the so one can experience this quality of mudita. And it is, it is quite rare, and it's something that isn't even recognized. The quality of it is joyful. And its enemy is envy. You see someone else having a good time, and you either, you either think, well, why haven't I got that? Or you think, it doesn't matter. You know, childish. No, no, not worth it. So we tend to you know, put it down as, so what? And the other, the, the near enemy, what's called the near enemy movie is, is when we get um, uh, overexcited. Like parties, you know, you get too, too joyed up and it gets a bit uh, over the top. Where you kind of... <coughs> where we're actually just uh, attaching to the, the emotional stimulation of, of having a good time with each other. So with uh, Mudita and Karuna, similarly, you, you practice them just to first of all bring around a particular mood, feeling in the heart, and then de- develop it insightfully, that is, towards yourself. Appreciate your own good fortune. Do you enjoy your health? You say, I enjoy good health, but do you really enjoy it? Uh, is it something that makes you feel glad, grateful? Uh, what about this birth as a human being? Is it a curse? You know, stuck inside his flesh thing that's twinging and whinging all the time? Or is it, uh, you know, well, what a, it was a good deal, you know? You've got a chance to hear some teachings, you get a chance to, if you don't have a body, it's difficult to, to do a lot of practice. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a lot of learning we can do through these human forms, through, through being born, to, to appreciate the incredible gift, incredible blessing of being born in the human realm. Rather than always complaining about the lousy deal we've got, you know, and how the bits of the body get painful, or what a weird, wacky society we live in, or so on. I mean, you can look at it like that, but what about, why is it so strange, so remote for us to actually appreciate our incredible good fortune? 
it's not a lack of mudita. Demanding things rather than appreciating the goodness that's present. Opeka is called the quality of, of equanimity, even-mindedness. And this is, uh, equanimity is, is, occurs in a number of uh, different cultivations because equanimity un- is the understanding of karma, an, exp- uh, 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 an empathy with karma. Things work according to karma. That which is good gives rise to good results. That which is bad gives rise to bad results. It's like this. Can't be any other way. That's evenness. It's not punishment. It's not, uh, it's not rejoicing in, in misfortune or say, you know, but, but a recognition of it. It leaves your mind even. Uh, witnessing that in oneself. That which is unskillful. If we're having unskillful experiences, it's because of unskillful uh, actions. Things we may not have known were unskillful, so we're not blaming and lamenting. It's just it's like that. So there's no need to feel bitter and disappointed and cheated and frustrated and and gloomy about. Uh, the, say, the pains or the difficulties or the emotional upsets we have, or our, our mind's kind of ditheriness or confusedness. Instead of feeling you know, bitter and cheated and fed up and depressed, you say, this is because of particular activities. You probably didn't know what you were doing, but there you go. It's like if you... <laughs> You know, if something is, is uh, poisonous and you drink it, it doesn't matter whether you knew it was poison or not, you still get the results. Mm. Uh, so when we've, our lives, we've, minds have probably been exceptionally overstimulated, pressurized, forced, and so this is the result. It's like this. Your attention span is about 1.3 seconds. <laughs> Because you've been watching TV for, for 40 years. <laughs> no, you know, so it's not. It's like that, you know. But it doesn't have to be continually like that. Because the law of karma is such that it's, it's not doom and predestination. It's this is because of particular results. Now, similarly, now, if you start to do good things, you get good results. You, know, you start to meditate, then your attention span goes to 1.4 seconds. <laughs> and even, even more at times, you know, get into double figures occasionally. So it is karma also means that you know, don't make an issue out of the way that we pass the results that have now. Just recognize that so that you, now is the time to, to bring around what's skillful because it will all count. Every skillful action will have its good results. None of it's wasted. But equanimity is a kind of maturing like that. 
it's uh, one of its qualities is, is um, in, in like an infinite state, a state of of um, what's called nothing or no thing, because we with 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 the quality of equanimity we recognise dynamics, that is relationship rather than entities. It's not like I am this way and I want to be this way. We recognize there are certain dynamic uh, factors present that are giving rise to certain results. Uh, and so, so this tends to, it means it loosens up the picture, the scenario, which can be very much one of, of feeling ourselves to be solid lumps and other people being fixed in what they are and the world being fixed in what it is. Everything is flow and flux and cause and effect, continual quality of flux in which nothing fundamentally exists as finite, separate and permanent. Equanimity is the quality of evenness, balance, patience, wisdom, and it's, uh, it's near, what's called the near enemy of it is indifference. We can mistake equanimity as a kind of don't care, indifference. But it's not indifference. It's, it's something that arises through keen witnessing and understanding. It's a lofty quality. It's perhaps the highest kind of love in that in this we make no demands on anything to be other than it is which doesn't mean we want to stay as it is either it means we recognize uh, the law of change and that the the unfortunate things that are we can witness around us occur because of causes rather than feel sorrow and lamentation we can if we have the opportunity we bring in good causes we encourage good causes to give good results. <clears throat> Try to, to cultivate this towards yourself and towards others. The state, whatever you judge or define yourself as being now, the state you're in now, acknowledge it. Recognize it sense of maturity and dispassion there are things to be done there are things we can do there is unskillfulness that we can recognize understand why and put it down put it away finish with it because it's like this every unskillful karma will have its results you, you don't you can't get away with anything so to, to have that understanding is not uh, is is no longer is the end of blaming. It's the growth. It's the beginning of, of wise direction, wise assessment. So this equanimity is a essential feature of practice in order to get some clear understanding within oneself and with others.
Now these four together, the Brahma Vihara, are then uh, the relationship, the conscious understanding of relationship, the recognition that relationship is unavoidable. We cannot not relate. We can only, when we think we're not relating or avoiding relationship, all we're doing is creating a relationship of avoidance. <laughs> There's no non-relationship. There's the relationships of avoidance, denial, and suppression. Note, try to notice just what, you know, what, you, what feeling, what arises, just in the contact with other human beings. There's bound to be some resonance. You may find it just a sense of anxiety or, or mistrust or feeling you need to please somebody or that you, you, know, you, you seek stimulation or there's some genuine sense of care. You know, it can be quite subtle. But relate any, just seeing other human beings, you're bound to get some kind of movement in your heart. It's a fundamental fact. If it's not happening, it's probably because you don't want it to happen. It's too disturbing. But as in many aspects of Dharma practice, then uh, we, we have to own up to the way it is. And instead of thinking the way it is, there's something going wrong. <laughs> you know, why, why is your mind so unsteady? There's something going wrong with it. It's actually not going wrong. It's operating correctly, but you don't know how to relate to it. <laughs> and in, in, in the Dharma practice, we're opening up to the way it is. And then there are means to be clear, to get balance, to uh, relate to things, to relate to ourselves, to relate to others in ways that will bring around that, sense, that wonderful blend, which is both stillness and activity at the same time. Which is the quality of Buddha. The, uh, we often consider the Buddha as the, the wise one, but uh, of course, the Buddha is also a compassionate one. You see it just as wisdom. Consider qualities of metta, karuna, kindness, compassion. Consider that. Maybe make that your, you know, try, try leading your practice that way for a while. If, you've, if you see it all as a kind of like a dry inside experience. Try just looking at what happens if you relate to yourself, your body, your activities, people around you. You don't have to do very much. Just, just look at it that way. Review it that way. Let yourself feel it that way. Train yourself to, to, to witness the sense of, of approval, admiration, uh, non-harming, caring, appreciating. Recognize these things as, as they occur. Dwell in them. Learn about them. So that you begin to uh, make use of the faculties with which we are endowed, instead of ignoring them, wondering why that because they haven't properly been serviced, they're all going all over the place, ups and downs, and all this, all kind of 
whole masses of repressed emotion that, that suddenly kind of explode after 20 years of repression into, into some kind of painful outbreak. Or you feel like you're, something in your heart's half dead a lot of the time. So, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. Uh, in, in meditation, then, we often take the, chance, the time to, to particularly focus, pinpoint, well-being. Notice what in your realm of experience is a sign of well-being. Focus on it. Notice what it feels like. Dwell in it. What in your life, what in your experience, what in your mind, your body, in your visual consciousness is the sign of, uh, of caring, of compassion. Don't, you don't have to do anything about it. Just focus on it, witness it. Let, it. let it do something to you. Let it open within you. What in your life, what in your body, what in your experience, what in your hearing or seeing or touching gives rise to the sense of appreciative joy. You don't have to celebrate it or explain it to anybody. Just, just note it, feel it, dwell in it. Let, it. let it do its work on you. Where is it that you, have, you realize the sense of evenness of this is the way it is. It's like this. That acceptance and even-mindedness. Dwell in it. Abide in it. Let it grow within you. Because these are, these are not self. These are not things that I am and do and going to make and create. They are things that happen to me and gradually help in this process of allaying that which gives rise to the sense of self. That's their supreme uh, supreme power the supreme realization is this much then our activities can come from that <laughs>